Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Somebody advised me, I think right before we moved, and said, never do more than one new thing a year. And that advice really made a lot of sense to me. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast, where we journey down the path of the modern homesteading movement by sharing the stories and ideas of homesteaders around the world. So whether you're just thinking about someday living the homesteading lifestyle or have been for many years, we want to help everyone homestead today for a better tomorrow. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornborough, and on today's show, we'll be having a uh, chat with Heather Eby. Heather and her family uh, homestead on 10 acres in Kansas, and she blogs all about it over at Self-Sufficiency and other assorted hijinks.wordpress.com. But uh, before we get into that conversation, I wanted to share a couple other things with you. I want to tell you about an event that's going on April 6th through April 12th called the Homegrown Food Summit. This is a free online event that you really should sign up for, even if you can't watch all the uh, sessions. Um, I'll just play a little audio from Marjorie Wildcraft, who is uh, putting this event on, uh, an audio of her uh, promoting this event. Hi, my name is Marjorie Wildcraft, and I am the founder of the Grow Network and the creator of the best-selling video set, Grow Your Own Groceries, which has over 300,000 copies being used in 30 countries around the world. I am very passionate about backyard food production. Do you have the level of health in your life that you want? Are you concerned about the food supply and all the chemicals and toxins in it? Would you like a deeply meaningful family activity that everybody can participate from toddlers to teenagers to elders? Well, I'm hosting a free online summit from April 6th to 12th with 30 presentations by the world's leading experts in backyard food production. We are covering all different ways and techniques of growing, preparing, and preserving your own food. We have eight different presentations on gardening methods. We have five different presentations on livestock, small livestock that you can do in your backyard. We have three presentations on different ways to preserve food, and we have two presentations on collecting and using rainwater, plus a whole lot more. If you register, and it's all free, as soon as you register, we'll get you a full list of the schedule and all the biographies of all our amazing presenters. And these presenters have been working on this. These are the leading research organizations and groups been spending decades of their life working on developing ways for you and I to live more sustainably and have more local food and more backyard food production going on in our homes. 
also, if you sign up, I'll give you four bonus ebooks just for free. We got one on how much land does it take to grow your own food? It's a useful question to know the answer to, isn't it? Another one which compares a lot of different ways to do chickens in your backyard. A third one on homemade shampoos so you'll look good at any time. And a fourth one on, on seed saving. All you have to do for the free ebooks is just register. We'll be glad to give them to you. All of the 30 presentations, the four bonus ebooks, can be yours. Just register. My name is Marjorie Wildcraft, and I'll see you at the Homegrown Food Summit from April 6th to April 12th. You really do have to at least go check out uh, some of the speakers that are at this event. Uh, Joel Salatin will be one of them, and uh, we all admire that guy. But uh, go in and uh, check it out. Uh, you can find a link to it uh, in the show notes for this podcast at smalltownhomestead.com slash 004. And, uh, you know, check it out and sign up. Uh, don't don't miss it. Um, remember, it's free. And uh, second, I wanted to say thanks uh, for the huge response I had on the blog post I wrote a few days ago on mulberry trees. I had dozens of emails and hundreds of social media shares, and uh, it was encouraging to see that kind of response. Uh, there there was one person who emailed me that I was unable to reply to uh, because it said your email account has uh, was over quota and it wouldn't let me email, let my email go through. Um, the email was about your son not being able to find mulberry trees to purchase because they were all out of stock. Uh, you know who you are, and if you uh, fix that email and uh, contact me again, I did have a few suggestions for you. So. Um, yeah, I didn't want anybody thinking that uh, I just ignore their emails. I don't ignore emails. I try to always respond back to people when they email me. Um, and on that note, if you want to sign up for the email list, uh, go to smalltownhomestead.com, sign up for our email list, and you won't miss anything. Uh, all the blog posts and the um, podcasts, when uh, we record them, I always send out an email, usually once a week, kind of just describing the latest that's going on at smalltownhomestead.com, and uh, there'll be links for the blog posts and the uh, podcasts in that email. So it's a good way to just stay up to date on what's happening around here. Um, well, with that, uh, <laughs> that's enough of that stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and get to the conversation I had with Heather about her homestead. Heather Eby, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, uh, you know, I've been through uh, Kansas a few times in my life, and that doesn't sound like a Kansas accent. So I imagine there's a story here behind this. (laughs) Oh, well, unfortunately, it's not a very interesting one. I am from Australia, and um, I've lived here, wow, it's getting actually to be about half my life now. Um, I came over as a young adult and and, um, got married, and I've pretty much been here ever since. I've been back a couple of times and actually, when I say a couple of times, I went back for um, six years, uh, split into two lots of three and both of my kids were born over there but, but um, I, they've pretty much been raised here and mm-hmm. and I've lived here now for a long time, been a Kansan for about 15 years. Okay. So, yeah. Well, what got you into homesteading? Well, I feel like I've sort of always... That, that's just the way I've always um, leaned. My mother was a, I wouldn't really call her a hippie, but definitely an herbalist. And we were, we were treated with comfrey ointments for just about everything and whorehound candy if we had a cough and, and things like that. And, and uh, as a teenager, I subscribed to a, a magazine they have in Australia called Grassroots, which I would say is 
sort of an Aussie version of um, Mother Earth News magazine here. And so I, I sort of, you know, I'd read this magazine and I'd have these dreams that I was going to live on a really backwards rural <laughs> area where it was only accessible by horse and cart and I'd chop my own wood and grow all of my own food and, and once a week take the, the horse and cart into town to barter for the things I didn't raise and, you know, it was, it was very idealistic teenage dreaming but um, mm-hmm. then I, I spent quite a few years living in the city, going to college, raising my kids when they were little and always had a few chickens in the backyard and always had a veggie garden but you know sometimes a few herbs and a planter on the front porch but but um, then about three years ago we I was very fortunate that we my husband and I had the opportunity to move out of the city and onto our little acreage here and we've just sort of slow leaps and downs in the last three years um, somebody advised me I think right before we moved that, and said Never do more than one new thing a year. And that advice really made a lot of sense to me. You know, I thought, sure. I, you know, I can see jump, trying to jump in and do everything at once and then getting so overwhelmed because I don't know half of it. I'm still learning some of it. So um, what we did the first year is we expanded from the dozen chickens, or dozen hens, actually, that we were allowed to have in the city um, and increased then added some turkeys and ducks and uh, got roosters for the first time and started hatching our own. And so our first year was really just expanding on what we had already done. Mm-hmm. And the second year, we added sheep. And that was um, primarily because growing up in Australia, we eat lamb like you eat beef here. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually the cheap meat. And... Here, at least in Kansas, you just never see it for sale in the stores. Right. And if you go to a restaurant, the the rack of lamb is the most expensive item on the menu. And, and that just, you know, since I grew up with it being the cheap meat, I, I couldn't really stomach paying the prices that, that it was costing here. So I told my husband, who had never even tasted lamb, that I wanted to start raising our own. And um, we started with six little lambs and... That was actually um, quite the adventure because after discussing for several weeks, should we or shouldn't we get lambs, one morning on Craigslist I saw an ad and this guy had these six to sale and so I went and I said, well, what do you think? Should we get some sheep? And he said, okay. So we went in in my PT cruiser, <laughs> 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 um, came back, with, it was an hour, hour drive each way, so, so we had Six lambs in a PT cruiser for an hour, and the task, <laughs> let's just say, was not adequate for the job. So I can still, on a, on a warm day, smell the sheep in the back of my car. But, <laughs> I bet you had a lot um, of stairs where you're going down the road, too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> especially going through the drive through to get a drink on the way oh, back. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no. but, um, then we, so we got them home, and we cobbled together a quick little pen for them, in the dark with a storm approaching and we finally got the last, we were using some livestock panels and we got the last panel secured and, and we sat back and we watched them graze for a minute and we went in to get out of the storm and the next morning I was woken by my husband yelling, oh crap! And I ran to see what the problem was and, and he was watching them disappear out the front gate. 
Um, It turned out that in the dark, one of the panels had not been secured at the bottom, and when they leaned against it, it just let them all up. So (laughs) we spent our first day as sheep farmers chasing the sheep up and down the road, Uh, never could quite convince them to turn back in the driveway, and eventually watched them sail over a fence like they were little deer and disappear altogether um, (laughs) off into open fields that we walked for hours and never caught another glimpse of them. So, so we thought a, we had... So there's a wild sheep population somewhere in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought we were failures of sheep, Mom, and thinking we just bought some really expensive coyote food. But, um, yeah. but um, woke up the next morning to hear uh, one of our dogs barking, and, and she just really never barks. So something's up when she barks, and we looked out to find the six of them huddled under our bedroom window. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, it, uh, there's that poem about leave them alone and they'll come home, but they've been on our property all of 12 hours before they disappeared. We, I just, and uh, honestly, two years later, I'm still amazed that they found their way home and, and yeah, no kidding. My dogs aren't even smart enough to find their way home when they get out. So I, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised too. That's, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. So, um, needless to say, we, uh, did secure the pen properly and, um, and we then got them. We, we've got a, a nice seven acre pasture that they live in now and, mm-hmm. and it's all been good ever since then, but, um, we had to wait a few months to try our first lamb, but luckily the family all enjoys it. So we've, um, we've, been doing that ever since, and even added a few goats as well. And, and you're, able, um, you're able to keep those in, though, huh? The goats. <laughs> well, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I grew up with goats, and I know that they can get out of just about anything. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good at it. The doe actually isn't too bad. The the Billy or the Buck or the Billy, whatever you want to call him, he mm-hmm. um he is kind of always looking for a way out. We've I think we've got him now. He hasn't he hasn't been out for quite a while unless we've let him out. Um, but but no, the, the dough is really pretty good, and and they we we just had the buck in the dough until nine weeks ago when uh, they had twin uh, actually little twin bucklings born, um, and the bucklings of course are now weathers and will one day be the first goat meat that we trace that we taste. Hmm. So um, kind of looking forward to to trying that. Yeah, it's amazing how that's a you know that's a, a really popular meat in the whole world except for here. <laughs> right, I did read one time that it's actually the most widely eaten meat yeah, around yeah. the world uh, right. out of everything, which mm-hmm. surprised me too because you know most people here haven't even tasted it. Right. But so anyway, we we will um, number we will make that a few less by the end of the year, I hope. Yeah, and you've also now uh, I was reading on your blog you've kind of gotten into dairy cows now, right? Yes, that is a, a very new venture, and um, I think it, it it surprised us pretty much as, as as much as anybody who knows us, because the one thing we had always said was we're not going to do dairy. We wanted mm-hmm. the freedom to be able to travel a little bit, um, didn't want to be tied to milking, and so we, we've done meat animals. We don't don't milk the goat. We don't milk the sheep. We, we've just done all meat animals, and... Um, then, actually, just right after Christmas, my neighbor told my our next door neighbor, with whom we've become quite good friends, told us that they were thinking about getting a a dairy cow, 
And I said, oh, well, you know, that'll be nice. And if you have any excess milk, I'll be happy to buy it from you. And so a few weeks went by and she continued on with her plans to get the, the dairy cow and that turned into a couple of bread heifers. And then one day I got a call saying, um, have you ever thought about getting a dairy cow? I said, no, I really haven't. I, I just don't want to go that way. And long story short, we now have dairy cows. Um, she talked us into it, and it's it's a really interesting arrangement, I think, because what we're doing is a cooperative with our neighbours. We co-own the cows, we share the expenses, we share the responsibilities, and, and then we share the milk. And it's actually working out beautifully. Um, we have one cow with her calf, the two bred heifers that she was going to get, and then a steer that we are going to send to butcher here in a few months. Um, and so we only have the one cow that's, that's in milk right now mm-hmm. and we're doing what's called shared milking where the cow raises her calf and we share the milk with the calf. So the way that works for us is around 8 o'clock in the morning I go over and between us we herd the, the calf out and she's pretty used now to, to leading him on and so we herd her out um, into another area where she spends Oh, about six hours and um, during that time the milk of course builds up in the cow and then we go and milk the cow we usually just milk one quarter all the way out and maybe just a little off, off a couple of you know the other quarters we want to leave enough for the calf that, that she won't go hungry and we put the calf back on her and the calf's been with her mom for the rest of the, the 24 hour period and then we, because we're sharing the milking then with another family, I only have to milk every other day. So, you know, where I've always imagined dairy being twice a day milking, instead I'm doing one milking every other day and I still have freedom and flexibility and, um, you know, if, if there's a day that I can't do it, it's really easy to just call her and say, hey, you want some extra milk? Could you milk for me today? And, well, that's a great arrangement. You know, yeah. It, it really is working out really great and... The nice thing is, unlike with some of the other animals, where when you travel, you have to bring somebody in and teach them all, teach them the chores, teach them what needs to be done. With the cows, we both know what needs to be done, and so there just isn't any issue at all if if one person needs to take some time off. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, and things are going to, of course, it's being springtime. Things always get a little bit busier on the homestead. You got a garden to get ready, and you know other things going on. So yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have uh, some help there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll, the cows will get busier later in the year. With uh, one of the heifers is due in mid June, and the other at the end of July. And after that, we'll be uh, trying to train them to be milked as well. Mm-hmm. So that the cows will get busy, but right now it's not a huge commitment of time. So yeah, I'm, I'm, and now I'm learn, having to learn how to do all the dairy products that I never thought I'd be learning to do, like make butter and yogurt and. Just tasted our first cheddar cheese last night that that I made last week. So. Oh wow, yeah, that's that's fun. I mean, you're getting in, doing all that new stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I know when yeah. I first just got into just doing anything in homesteading. I mean, every little thing you learn is just something new and it's exciting and you know it's just fun. You know, for a while, yeah, until it becomes a chore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I was reading on your blog, you've had some, uh, you, you've you been blogging for, you know, a couple of years, I've seen, and I was just kind of scrolling through there, and, and uh, you know, pictures are a great thing in a blog, because there was one that caught my eye right off the bat, and it was a, a couple of years ago, 
Um, and it's uh, someone holding a black snake. <laughs> oh, I, I want to yeah. hear this story because I, I caught my eye, and then I read a little bit of it, and I was like, oh, i got to ask you about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a it was a summer night. I want to say July, August, one of those really hot summer nights. And I'd been, my husband and I had been out all evening. We came home. I think it was about eleven o'clock at night. And I usually just go down. We have an auto door on the chicken coop, but I usually go down and just check that everybody made it in. You know, just don't want any predators coming around in the middle of the night. And I was surprised when I got down there to find that all of the ducks. And at that point, that we'd hatched a lot. We had. 20 or 30 ducks they were all sitting outside which was really unusual so I opened the people door I was going to herd them in because of course the auto door had already closed hours before and um, when I looked in with the flashlight I saw this snake my, my, the actual chicken coop part of, of the building is, is 10 by 10 mm-hmm. and its head was in one corner its body went the entire way down one side and then turned the corner and went a couple of feet. So I'd say it was about a 12-foot-long yeah, black looked, snake. It looked really big. <laughs> <laughs> it looked really big in the coop, too. And the scary thing was I had a couple of chicks that were about three weeks old, and its head was only inches from one of the chicks. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's about to grab that chick. I, I've got to do something. So I ran and I grabbed it by the tail and I backed out of there. It, of course, turned around. It was kind of hissing and, and not very happy about being grabbed. And I wasn't too concerned about being bitten, although that was on my mind. But mostly I just wanted to make sure that my, you know, I guess I, I, guess I became the mother hen and, and the protective mode kicked in and said, so, you're not going to get my chick. So... Um, I dragged Ron out of there and, and kind of half carried, half dragged it up to the house and yelled for my husband to come and take a look. And he's the one who took that photo that you saw on the blog. And and then, you know, there was the, well, what do we do now? I I, I really, I'm a snake. I would, I would have to say I'm kind of a snake lover. I, I believe that they are truly beneficial to have mm-hmm. on the homestead. They, they are good for rodent patrol and all sure. the rest. Yeah. I didn't want to kill it. I just didn't want it. It, eating my birds either so um, what I ended up doing was carrying it across the street to a big open field that we have there and it was unfortunately it was throwing up or regurgitating the entire way it, it had eaten a lot of eggs it had not actually eaten any of the chicks but it had eaten a lot of the eggs I had eggs under various broody hens at the time and, and the next morning I discovered that they were pretty much all gone um, so it was regurgitating them all the way up. But I released it in the field across the street, and I've never seen it since. So <laughs> apparently, it got the message it wasn't welcome. Yeah, evidently <laughs> that was. A, yeah, I seen that, and that caught my eye. And I thought, wow, that's a that's a really big snake. And then for you just to grab it like that, I, I thought that's pretty funny too, because I don't think my wife would grab a snake. <laughs> I'm not so sure I would if there was a shovel or something I could use instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good story. Yeah, you have a you have a lot of blog posts. You've been uh, you write quite a bit, uh, just kind of just daily or not really daily, but I mean you you just journal what's going on on your uh, homestead quite a bit, huh? Well, we do. We actually started the blog mostly for ourselves. Um, we we did have a few times like when with the sheep going to pick them up in the PT cruiser, and we were telling a friend, and they said, "Oh, you should have a blog. You should you know you should write about that." 
and I thought about it later and I thought, you know, memories do fade. It would be fun mm-hmm. to, to just note that down so that later we can go back on it and, and laugh about some of the some of the mishaps that, that happened. Um, and so I have tried to keep it up. I, I usually try and, and post a blog, uh, post one a new one about once a week. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, little bits of what we're what we're doing. Um it's very seasonal when we're when we're in the veggie garden. You know, there might be recipes for what we're doing with all the. You know, you, you bring in all those bucket loads of tomatoes every day, sure, and yeah. and um, recipes for what we're doing with them and things like that. And it's more just to document it for ourselves. But um, but yeah, you know, we, we've had a few people subscribe over the years, and, and yeah. if they enjoy it too, then then the more the merrier. Yeah, I'm sure it encourages people to, you know, to try things and, and, and see what you're doing. It's like, I want to try that too, you know. So I think it's good. I, I'm, I always encourage blogging. I just think it's a, I think it's a great thing to do. And, and, and a lot of people are doing it, but, uh, you know, they're, they're popular for a reason because people are encouraged, they're inspired by them, and they love the stories, you know. So, I, yeah. It's right. Well, and I love to read blogs myself for the same reason, I think. But, mm-hmm. um you know, especially when I, I I try and read a lot, I research a lot. Anytime we're starting a new venture, you know, I try and read a lot about it. And but there's a difference between an article written by a professional who's doing it under when all the conditions are perfect, and somebody like me who's who's just done a little homestead and conditions may not be perfect. And it's, it's I like hearing the the real life experiences that people have had, and so I guess that's what what why I like to write the blog post as well is, is you know, sometimes sometimes you try something and it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's useful information as much as the things that did work. So. Right. Yeah, it's nice to share the failures too and help somebody else out and you know, yeah. try that as well. So now you're on the, you're on 10 acres, right? In Kansas. Uh-huh. Okay. So yep. how, like, is it all farm? Is it woods? Is it all, fi- I mean, field? I mean, it, you got separated from oh. like, garden and animals. How, how you got that laid out? Yeah, well, it's Kansas. We dream of woods. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's definitely prairie. Our um, the the way the the acreage is divided up, it's long and narrow. It's actually a quarter mile long, and so whatever the width is mm. to to make it ten acres, then it's a quarter mile long. Um, and the front three is our house and surrounds, but it also includes where we have the chicken coop and yard and our veggie garden. And um, our orchard, which is currently one apple tree, but um, <laughs> it produces so many apples every year that, that it almost counts as an orchard all by itself. Um, and then we, there's a fence dividing uh, the front tree from the seven-acre pasture, and that is where the sheep and goats live. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are very fortunate that our west side boundary is a hedgerow of um, trees that I think are fairly native to Kansas, so I don't know if, um, how often they grow in other parts of the country. They're, they're actually Osage Orange, but they're known as hedge apples. Um, mm-hmm. They produce these enormous big hedge apples that, that horses like to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say we're fortunate because it's on our west boundary, so it, it casts shade in the summer um, from that, you know, from the hot west sun quite, so, so that, and the chicken yard is right inside that so we get a lot of shade in the chicken yard um, for a lot of the day so that's worked out really well for us um, but aside from that hedgerow of trees there aren't a whole lot of other trees on the property the, the pasture is mainly just grass 
with a big pond in the middle of it, which, okay. again, we're very fortunate that the, the former owners of the property had, had dug the pond. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's a nice feature to have on your on your homestead for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, like what kind of a gardening uh, area do you have? I mean, is it you got a really good sized garden? I would imagine. And... Um, it, it's a, it, I think it's a decent size. It's, it's certainly um, a decent size when I'm trying to weed it. Um, it's <laughs> it's uh, the actual garden area is about 50 feet long by about 16 feet wide. Okay. And I have that divided up into. Um, Four foot wide beds with two foot wide walkways in between them. Mm-hmm. So there are seven beds with with the walkways in between, and that works out. Some people, have, um, I, and I've read a lot about this, and a lot of people say, "Oh, four feet wide is, is too wide." But um, I found it to be a good width because I can reach in two feet, and so each bed is accessible on both sides. And so as long as I can reach in two feet, I can weed the entire bed without actually having to walk on it. Yeah, that's exactly what and, I do too. They got the four foot wide, and with the pathways in between, yeah, it works out real well for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was really surprised when I read recently where somebody said, "Oh, you know, you, you don't want to go wider than three feet." But but anyway, I, I'm not very tall. I don't have super long arms, but I haven't had any problem leaning mm-hmm. that far. So. Um, Anyway, so I grow, I, I actually don't grow some of the things that, that most people do seem to. I, I don't grow sweet corn. Um, what I try to do is grow the things, I guess it's getting the most bang for my buck, um, it, which is probably a holdover from when I gardened in the city and, and had a very small space to garden, so I had to make the most of every, every square inch I had. Mm-hmm. I Try to only grow the things that are going to continually produce instead of being a, a one one off. So, sweet corn, you know, really takes up quite a bit of space, and you get two ears of corn, and, and then it's done. Whereas tomatoes take up even more space, but they continually produce for sure, yeah. several months. So, um, generally, I grow a lot of different varieties of tomatoes and peppers. We we love hot peppers, so I'm always looking for the hottest of the hot peppers I can grow. <laughs> Um, we do have one row dedicated to potatoes, um, and then we grow a lot of salad greens. Um, but when I say salad greens, we, we actually don't grow lettuce because once again, it, it is something that you grow and then once you cut the lettuce, head of lettuce, then it's, it's sort of done. So we grow, um, greens like kale, Swiss chard, uh, collards, mustard greens, um, and I, I try spinach every year. I've never successfully grown spinach, but I guess I'll try again this year. Um, and anyway, and we use those greens that, that are more continue, continually producing um, in our salads. So yeah. I find I have better that, luck with the uh, with the uh, um, loose leaf lettuce. You know, that way you can just kind of cut the outer leaves off of it, and it continues to grow, and you can just kind of leave it alone and not not you know, pull it all at once. That works pretty good. But then during the summer, of course, you know, you really can't grow it. It's more of a spring and then fall. Uh, okay. It well, a, that's a, a good tip. Hot. I might yeah. have to try that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't, I I guess I did, wasn't even really aware there was a loose leaf lettuce that you could yeah. grow that way. So, yeah, see, pretty... I learned something from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, a, there's just all kinds of tricks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we have pretty, I don't know, it's probably just a weather difference too. The spinach grows pretty well. I'm in Indiana. And the spinach grows pretty well here, um, so yeah, it could be just some, you know, some weather differences and some. Uh, might yeah, make, might make I don't know. I, I may need to try some different seed. Um, I, 
I'm probably using the same seed packet because I tend to do that. I tend to, to get seed packets and then I just keep using them until they stop germinating. Um, so maybe I just need to try a different variety, but I tried it. I've tried it every year and I always get them to come up in the little starter pots and then I plant them out and then after I plant them out, nothing really happens to them. So. <laughs> well, so, it sounds like you're making, yeah. it, you're making up for it with the other greens there. you got plenty for a salad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the caterpillars certainly think so. We yeah, uh, yeah. we we are 100% organic and, and our only method of pest control is to sit out there with a peanut butter jar and pick the bugs off it. Yeah, and that uh, takes quite a bit of time, really. Um, I, I, I usually spend an hour or two every day doing that and mm-hmm. collect them and then carry them out to the because ch- we, we have the veggie garden fenced off to keep the chickens out because mm-hmm. they like a good salad as, good as, as much as we do. Yeah, you wouldn't um, have a garden if you didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then I carry my peanut butter jar full of creepy crawlies out and feed them to them and they get very excited to see the peanut butter jar oh, coming. Oh, yeah, they would love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you growing your potatoes like it just in mounds in the dirt, or are you doing anything special growing those? Well, we are growing them in the ground. What we what we've done, uh, what we did last year that that worked fairly well. I, I, we didn't probably have any record breaking yields, but we were we were satisfied. Was um, we just dug the, planted them directly in the ground, and then we did um, just pile a little over them as the season progressed and. It, when the when the leaves were coming up, we would just sort of pile some more on top of them, and, and that worked pretty well. Um, this year we have a much thicker layer of mulch than we did last year, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm hoping that they'll do a little bit better this year even than last year. But yeah, I'm trying I'm trying something new this year. I'm gonna I'm setting up some uh, some cages. I've, I was kind of looking on YouTube and seen this uh, setup where you just take some straw and put it around the inside of a of a round, take some fencing and just put it in a circle and then uh, kind of push straw up against the edges and then fill the center up with dirt. And then every few inches you, know, you plant a circle of uh, potatoes and uh, just all the way up and you go ahead and fill it all the way up and you don't have to, uh, you know, put any more dirt in it or anything. And then it just grows out the side of the, um, of the wire, you know, through the fence uh, through the year. And that looks like a pretty neat setup. And when you're done, you just go out there and rock the cage and then tip it over and kind of shuffle but, through the mess and find your potatoes. Yeah. And that does sound like an easy way when it comes to harvesting, for sure. Because I know with with them in the ground, when you go to dig them, mm-hmm. it, it seems like yeah. you always miss them. Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, this will be the first year I'm trying that, but it looked, you know, the, the few videos and stuff I watched on uh, YouTube it looked like it worked pretty well. So I'm eager to try it. Okay. Well, yeah, you'll have to keep us posted on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm certainly willing to to change methods if if there's something that works better. Yeah, look 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 like it might try. Yeah, because I haven't had a lot of you know, like you say that. The, when you're growing them in the ground, I mean, it definitely has to be soft, uh, you know, uh, dirt and uh, and with some mulch and, and you keep piling it up. And it does take some work. I mean, you can get a decent harvest, mm-hmm. but it, it is a lot of work doing it that way. So just try yeah. to find a, a better way like you, I guess. We're always experimenting and seeing what we always can do. Always looking for something better. Yeah. yeah. I One thing I did learn last year, which I don't know, I guess it just had never, I've never realized this before, is that. Potatoes really don't dig down. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of other, like the tomatoes, you know, they, they, they'll develop a pretty deep root system. But the potatoes, where you plant them, that's, they'll go yeah. horizontally but not down. Yeah, they grow up. And, uh, regular potatoes grow up. Sweet, right. sweet potatoes will grow down. but uh, Okay. Yeah, the regular potatoes grow up, yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, one of the, that's why you have to do the mound system with them, you know, so you can keep right. them dirt to spread out in and stuff. And they're not the funnest crop to grow, but you know, uh, it's all. But it's one of those crops that um, they're not expensive in the store, but they're um, you know they consider just one of the the really bad ones for uh, chemicals and stuff being sprayed on mm-hmm. them. So it's really good to grow right. it yourself, you know, and, and get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds like you got quite a bit going on there. I mean, I was reading that you're you know diving in, you know, doing a lot of canning, dehydrating, um, you know, uh, of course making your dairy products, and so it sounds like you're just taking on all kinds of new stuff this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes it does feel a little overwhelming. Like I said earlier, you pull in all those buckets of tomatoes when they're right at the ripening season, and then I sit there and I look at these buckets of tomatoes, and but there's no rest. You know, you, you can't just you can't leave them mm-hmm. unless you want them to rot. So as soon as I pull them in, then, you know, I have to start washing and cutting and turning them into salsa and pasta sauce. And and um, this year I might try and make some ketchup. I've never done that before. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some recipes for that as well. I was just kind of interested in that too. I've seen a few people posting recipes recently uh, and some blogs and stuff. So, yeah, that might be something I'm going to even get into. I didn't have a very good tomato crop last year. we got some blight problems around here. Uh uh, sounds like a lot of people had that problem. I don't know if it was out your area or not, but we had the, it hit hit us pretty hard around here. And uh, I think we got lucky because I do remember reading on on a couple of I don't know Facebook groups or or forums where people were experiencing a lot of blight. But around here, we we I guess we got the right rain at the right time mm-hmm. because we did not have. I I actually had a really good hole <laughs> last year. I, I put up something like, oh, I don't know, um, I think about 100 pints of various um, tomato-related, you know, tomato-based things. Yeah. So, um, so no, we, we did not have that last year, but every year is different, and, and yeah. you never know with the weather conditions right. what, just, what you can yeah, get. When, when you yeah. get the, the temperatures and the rain and everything plays just right, yeah, it can definitely hit you. So, yeah, that was uh, that's something we dealt with. So, it did, you know, it affected our tomato crop last year. Everything else done really well. We have the cucumbers. I don't know if you grow cucumbers, but we had cucumbers last year, and I, I've never seen so many cucumbers in my life. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't grown cucumbers. My, my neighbor does, and she's very generous and shares them with us, so... <laughs> We made a, I made a lot of pickles last year, so I've been giving away pickles all winter. <laughs> so, yeah, yum. That, that worked out good. Well, you, well, you said you do. You you know you kind of taking on one new thing a year. Or, you know, uh, uh, sound like you have sometimes taking on more. But uh, uh, what, what's in your future plans for your homestead? I mean, you got some uh, other animals you're looking into, or other things to grow, or maybe expand well, that, maybe doubling that orchard <laughs> size by planting another tree or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, we do talk often about adding some more fruit trees, and mm-hmm. and it sounds really good until the until the point where the one apple tree, like I said, it produced it has produced so well the last two years that um that at that point I I kind of think oh why do why why do I want more fruit to have to deal with this is <laughs> you know I have to have to do make all this apple sauce for us. I but, think variety you um, different trees. <laughs> 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 Actually, it would be nice to stretch it out a little bit because with our ours are very early maturing um, apple. They're usually ripe about July, mm-hmm. and I have about four weeks where I'm going crazy trying to deal with all the apples, and then we're done before a lot of other varieties are even started. So, yeah, right. Yeah, that probably would be good. But um, for the future, there's, there's 
A couple of things we've talked about other than adding more fruit trees, one of which is bees. Um, I've never done it, and who doesn't like honey? But um, actually the thing that's stopping me, and, and you'll probably laugh at me, I, I, it, it's one of my little quirks, I feel guilty stealing the honey from the bees. I, I feel like they work so hard their whole lives to gather all this pollen and turn it into honey so that mm-hmm. the hive can, will have honey to eat over the winter and then we go and steal it all. And so I, I just don't know if I can live with the guilt. So yeah, there the there is other. a. I mean, uh, from what I understand, I don't I don't raise bees. Uh, it is something also that I would like to get into in the future. But um, from what I understand, yeah, I mean, you can be greedy and take too much from them, and then they can't uh, they don't have enough to feed on through the winter. But uh, from what I understand, though, if you don't take it, they they'll actually move on. Um, oh, it, it, they okay. actually need you to take some of it if other to stay where they're at. Otherwise, it it causes them some oh. problems. And they have to go find another place to live. <laughs> Well, that that is interesting. I might have to to read up a bit more about that. Then. Yeah, because they'll actually like split the hive. You have to like continually split the hive and stuff because they'll get you know so populated and they'll get so much honey. I, just from the stuff I've read, you know, like I said, I'm no expert on it because I don't even don't even raise them. And someone might uh, listen to this podcast and uh, send me a, an email and say you're wrong about that. But I've read a few things. And <laughs> it sounds like uh, that you know that it's good to take some of it you know but i guess you could take too much because like i said that is their food and um for the winter time and uh yeah but yeah okay. i think well, actually it may make you feel less guilty though so you might be helping yeah, yeah you, gotta, you gotta think about helping the bees that way <laughs> helping the bees yes yes absolutely and the other thing that we have talked about doing and i would say i'm probably more interested than my husband um is <laughs> pigs um i've never raised pigs and i I think I would probably really enjoy the pigs themselves. I, I think I'd like them, and, and of course we've I've had some homegrown pork, and it's it's just night and day different than anything you can buy um, in the store normally. So, you know, it, it's got that going for it. But mm-hmm. the the only um, hesitation I I have well I guess there's two hesitations I have with pigs. One is their natural rooting behaviour. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I've, I've read horror stories about them digging and rooting and turning your whatever space you give them into just a mud patch, mm-hmm. and um, that isn't terribly appealing. Um, although hopefully the the area would recover. But um, the the other thing that we hesitate is that the beauty of the sheep and the goats is they practically raise themselves. They live out on the pasture. Mm-hmm. They eat grass. We don't have to supplement them a whole lot. I give them a very small scoop of grain every night just to keep them coming in and keep keep them friendly. And they just think of me as the grain lady. But um, they and and actually even that is mostly just during pregnancy and lactation and, and the mm-hmm. rest of the year they don't even get that. Um, and so they grow fat just on grass. We don't have to do much for them other than make sure they have clean fresh water all the time. Um, yeah. Whereas pigs. You have to feed them, and we don't have a steady supply of food, so we'd have to go out and buy the feed for them. And right. so then we're kind of going, well, by the time you buy the feed and you know buy the pigs and then buy the feed and then pay for the processing, are, are you really getting cheap meat or are you just getting better meat? So right. I guess that, that's yeah. what you have to decide. And, and, and you know, there, there's if you got enough land and and you know the bet. 
from what I understand, we've had, I've had pigs, you know, uh, on and off throughout my whole life. You know, we've raised some pigs here and there, but, um, but never in this way. Uh, and I've read a lot of people and heard from a lot of people that do it this way. And that's just paddock shifting them, having a, a sep- several areas that you constantly are moving them into. That way you can let the, the ground recover behind them and they can okay. do, do less damage that way. And, you know, I don't know how much land you would have dedicated for something like that. But if you don't have too many of them and you're able to move them on different, you know, areas, I think that they can, you know, that it, it works pretty well. But really all animals, really, for that matter, uh, it's a good, you know, uh, practice to kind of paddock shift them around if 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 you got a small area for a lot of animals you know yeah that's true and actually um that is one thing that we are going to change up about our sheep operation this year and when i say operation we only have a small number of sheep but um we are planning on starting rotational grazing with them for parasite control mm-hmm. um so we're we're going to get some of that electronet sensing and yeah use it to create much smaller areas for them and then move them every four days, which my husband worked out with the, the space we have um, and the size of the, the electro-netting fence. But if we move them every four days, by the time they get back onto a place where they've been before, the parasites won't still be around. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll have, they, I, I guess they, their life cycle on the, on the blade of grass will be over. So, um, so I suppose you know if you if you maybe followed the the sheep with the pigs or something maybe that yeah and then, yeah a that. lot of people you know alternate different kinds of animals or they, if they have you know uh, cattle and they'll run like uh, maybe uh, um, chickens behind them in cages you know and and, uh-huh. and run and you have uh, chicken tractors when you put a few chickens for meat chickens you know and run those behind them and and that works pretty well from what I've you know read jo- Joel Salton's uh, big on that I don't know if you've know much about him yeah but he, yeah, you know, he talks absolutely. a lot about that running the, the chicken tractors through the fields and you know and then you get a, a more natural uh grass-fed animal that right way. so right. yeah but yeah that it was good plans it sounds like you guys know what you're uh you know you got a plan there for you know with the with the netting and the and moving them around that you, that's part of your uh future there i mean that's what you're going to be doing and that i think that's that's a good practice so that's that's real good i think you yeah know, I think it, you it, it takes a little bit <laughs> Well, it's going to take a little bit to get it set up, and um, you know, right now we're actually at the stage where we're just researching all the different. I don't. It, my brain fries on this stuff, but the energizers and the mm-hmm. uh, all, all of that stuff. He's he's better at that than me, fortunately. So he's he's actually the one doing the research on that and just reporting back every now and then. And and um, somebody gave me a tip about using car batteries instead of solar panels um, to power them, which he really liked that idea as well. Hmm. So. So we're looking at hopefully getting that set up before the end of April um, so that we can get them out there and start start rotating them. Um, and, the, and and one of the reasons I say we, we, we have stayed small on our, on our sheep is we have seven acres, um, and we did read when we first started in sheep that, that in this area you can run about five head per acre. So with seven acres, that, that should allow us about 35 head. But... Mm-hmm. Um, what what we're trying to do is grow hay on it as well so that the sheep are pretty much self-sufficient. So sure, yeah. we grow hay and so we've, we've stayed low. We're staying well below the 35. Right now I think we have, um, we've got seven, seven adults and, and the lambs that they've got at foot that, that won't be around forever. And um, so we, we let them graze it, but we, up until now at least, 
um, we're in a drought right now, so this year could be different. But but the past two years, we've been able to cut enough hay to feed them over the winter. So we haven't had to actually buy any feed for the sheep other than that scoop of grain that they get during pregnancy. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, so that's, that's the reason we're staying small on the sheep, but it also will make it um, possible, I think, to rotationally graze and they'll still have enough to eat in, in the little area that they've got the electronics in. Now, do you, do you sell any of the sheep as well, or do you just is it just for your own use? Well, um, I have a hard time butchering the females, I have to say. Mm. They, they, to me, are more valuable because they can be future breeders. So um, last year, we only had two lambs, actually. Um, we, we did not have as many adults then as we do now. And... We had one ram lamb who went to butcher. We had one ewe lamb who we kept and is now one of our, our adults. Um, this year, I have sold the ewe lambs. Um, I actually, just word of mouth, I didn't even really have to advertise, but people would hear that I had lambs and call me up and say, hey, are you by any chance going to be selling them? So all of the ewe lambs were pre-sold by the time they were a week or two old. And uh, the, the males then, we are raising to go to butchers so mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's about the only sales we do i am not somebody i i hate sales i don't like to have to <laughs> deal and deal and advertise right. and, and do all that but, but you're in it, to, you're in it what, to feed your family not it's not really commercial business right. for you all right well that's there's nothing wrong with exactly that, yeah. yeah so not worked out really well this year that i got them all sold without having to do any of that you know it's just able to to um, have people hear that I had them and, and reserve them, and then I just tell them, okay, they're cleaning time when you want to pick them up. So. Now I mentioned uh, I mentioned earlier about your chickens. Uh, uh, now are all your chickens layers, or do you have meat chickens as well? Or oh, actually, that's um, that's a, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question um, because you, you touched on one of my favorite subjects. Um, I don't really like the the commercial meat chicken, the broilers that are mm-hmm. sort of, you know, engineered a little bit to, to grow way too fast. And right. So um, what I have are, I, I focus primarily on two breeds. They are heritage breeds, Bard Rocks and, and New Hampshire Reds. But um, I know people are cringing going, oh, Bard Rocks, I've had them <laughs> and they're awful. Um, these are not your hatchery Bard Rocks. I got some really good breeder stock from a guy who, Happens to live two hours from me, but is is has some um, amount degree of fame throughout the country. His name is Frank Reese, and he runs um, Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch hmm. um, up right here in Kansas. And so I made a visit up to see him a couple of years ago and picked up some breeder quality um, hens and and a couple of roosters from him. And they were the they they're the base of my now, what I like about them is compared to the hatchery barred rocks, they're huge. Um, the the barred rocks have this beautiful, what they call zebra barring, where it's very, very clean uh, lines. Um, and the New Hampshire reds are just this brilliant orange. And they're all just very docile, calm, friendly birds. They're not bullies like some of the hatchery birds can be. Mm-hmm, right. Um, they grow to butcher size in about 16 weeks. Hmm. And so it's not like your broilers where, you know, six to eight weeks and yeah, you're already cross, butchering yeah, them. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> but I don't have them in tractors and having to do all that, that labor. What I have is I, I actually have just one coop and all of my birds live in one coop. 
and everybody free ranges together and mm-hmm. they, they actually have access to the entire 10 acres. They realistically only use about the front three of it, but they're allowed to go anywhere and they eat all the grass and, and bugs they can find and they sunbathe and they dust bathe and they, you know, just do all the things that birds should do. And so they, they kind of raise themselves. I, um, I just put a note on my calendar that, you know, this group is 16 weeks old on this date and on that date I, I gather round them up and and butcher them, um, and that's really just because I don't want to I don't want to lose track of them and, and end up feeding them a lot longer right, when yeah. I didn't need to. But um, but they you know for the most part raise themselves, so I don't really have any extra work, but I still have the the meat and it, it's you know I I think if you're used to eat, eating an eight week old Cornish cross, you probably would notice a difference with this. This is what we're used to, and we find it really good meat. It's, oh, yeah, it's better it's, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're not going to have the size, but for sure, definitely a better. Uh, more more of the uh, dark meat and less of the light for sure, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, still yeah. a good bird. Absolutely. What about your ducks? Now, you um, do an egg production with those, or is it? Um, well, I got Muscovies because um, I had read that they are a good meat bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good mothers, and they're good layers. I'd have to say the first two of those things are, are accurate. Um, in in other parts of the country, I I understand that they do lay for a lot longer. Here in Kansas, we find I, I actually got my first duck egg today. <laughs> Here it is, April first. Got my first duck egg. They'll lay until about I think like August September, maybe if I'm lucky, and then they're done. Maybe hundred eggs. So, yeah. Yeah. So as far as, as being good layers, I, I would have to disagree with that, at least from my area. But they are a good meat bird. They, mm-hmm. With them, I actually mark the calendar at 14 weeks. They grow from a duckling out of the egg to an enormous bird in, in 14 weeks. Um, and and they, if you like duck, it, it's good meat. Mm-hmm. I, we do. Um, we do really like duck. Uh, the only problem I have with ducks is they're nasty. I know everybody says that, <laughs> but this time of year they don't bother me. But winter comes and the the you know we it pretty much will get weeks at a time where it's below freezing around the clock, and and then a lot of week a lot of other days where it's it freezes at night. So the only way I can provide water for them is with a heated dog water bowl, mm. and of course my biggest out there freezes so I have to haul the water down from the house so there's nothing more frustrating you, you haul I, I fill up a old milk carton with a gallon of water and I carry it down there and I fill up the heated dog, dog water bowl and I turn around I go and check for eggs or something and I hear splish splash splish splash and I look around <laughs> and there's a duck bathing in the water yeah and splashing it all out where it instantly freezes for me to flip over the next time I'm, I'm going down there. So every winter I say, this is my last year with ducks. I am not putting up with this again. But the meat's um, so good, right? <laughs> the meat is good. It is. <laughs> and, then, and then right about the time I'm really cursing, we'll, we'll have ducks for dinner and my husband will say, you know, I'm really going to miss the ducks. <laughs> <laughs> now, do they have access so, to your pond or uh, do you not let them there? Um, no, they they are free to fly down there. The Muscovies are good flyers. Um, so, but what's interesting, the first year we we were here, they all, all, all you know, that, and that was back when we had twenty or thirty of them that summer. 
they would all fly down there every day and they would spend a lot of the day down there and then they'd, they'd get hungry and they'd sort of waddle. For some reason, they'd fly down but walk back. So they'd waddle all the way back up and they'd come and refill. Yeah, it's kind of like me when I go into a restaurant. I, I kind of fly <laughs> yeah. in, but then I kind of waddle out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and actually, that, that became a problem. We didn't get nearly as much meat that first year as we should have because we had a fox that was visiting and about every two or three days one fewer because the ducks were actually trying to sleep on the pond at night but the fox was apparently going out mm. in the pond and getting them or yeah. scaring them to the edge and getting them or whatever he was doing and about every two or three days one fewer duck would waddle back up and um, we got down to the point i think we we had six by the end of the fall and we hadn't eaten any of them which was a bit frustrating um and I, I don't know what became of that fox. I, I think somebody got him. I'd heard that my a neighbour on the other side of the hedge was losing chickens to it as well, and had a trap out. And, and suddenly one day we stopped losing ducks to it. Um, so, so I think the neighbour must have somehow got the fox. Mm-hmm. Um, but the we've, we've been pretty lucky when it comes to predators. I know a lot of people who keep poultry have a lot of predator issues. Um, We've had, well, we had one spectacular fox in some three weeks after we moved here. Yeah, I've, when, seen that on your, um, I've seen that on your blog. As well. you, had a, you, <laughs> yeah. had, you had like a, a month or two there where you had it. Well, you had the snake, you had the fox, you had a coyote, didn't you, all at once kind of? Yeah, yeah, we had, yes, definitely. The the coyote got a, a, one of our those six little lambs, um, and the fox got, at, at that time, it, it took a third of my flock in about an hour. Wow. There were just dead bodies everywhere. It was it was horrible. But that fox's life ended about 24 hours after that attack um, when I he, he returned, which I had sort of predicted he would, and um, I was laying in wait for him with a 22, and, and um, that was pretty much the end of that first fox. And then we had the other one that the, the following year was, was taking the ducks off our pond at night, but it never came up closer than that. It, it, it was pretty content to just eat the ducks that slept on the pond. And the six that we were left with at the end of the year were the six that had realized that it wasn't safe down at the pond and started sleeping in the coop. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, I, I, apparently those six told all the others that it's not safe <laughs> at the pond because nobody goes down there anymore. Put the word out, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's pretty neat. You got you got quite a homestead. Yeah, I enjoyed listening to just everything you got going on. It sounds like you just got a great place there. You you're uh, you just got a lot of stuff happening. And it sounds like you got a few things in the future there that you're going to be uh, getting into. And I'm looking forward to reading about it on your blog. I really enjoyed reading your blog. You, you got a lot uh, a lot of good stuff on there. Well, thank you very much, Harold. I appreciate that. And yeah, we we um, really are happy here. It's it's realizing a dream and you know sometimes that can go south on you sometimes you you mm-hmm. achieve the dream and then go well this isn't as fun as i thought it was but um, <laughs> and, and nothing ever is case, but yeah it's yeah. worth it though i think it's worth it though yeah oh absolutely in our case we have just really i mean we're just so happy out here and we we I just feel so thankful every day that we had the opportunity to move here and try this and and uh 
I would I would really encourage anyone who thinks they want to try it. You know, you don't have to move to an acreage to do it. You can you can do it right in your backyard. Yeah, you were doing yeah. it. I mean, you you had a small homestead even when you were in town. It sounded like you had some chickens. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna let you point people to your uh, blog if you want to. What is the? Uh, see, it's. Uh, I'll let you say it. What's the title of it? Okay. Yeah, it is a bit of a mouthful. Um, it, it's self-sufficiency and assorted hijinks. All one word, so okay. it's a really yeah, long word. I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes so nobody has to remember okay. all that. Oh, and I guess I should say that that's at WordPress. So yeah, um, WordPress.com. So yeah, com, yeah. At, at WordPress.com. Yeah. So. Well, we'll so, definitely yeah. point people there, and uh, and uh, now you told me uh, that you just started listening to podcasts here uh, just a few weeks ago. So this is, and you're going to be on one right away. So that's pretty neat. I know <laughs> it happened so fast. My son, my my sweet seventeen year old son, came home and said, "Hey, mom, I think you would enjoy listening to podcasts." And I'm going, "Podcast? What is a podcast?" And and so he he was trying to explain. He said, "No, no, just go to iTunes and and just search on homesteading. I bet you'll find some." And and so now it's like, what would I do without their podcast? While well, I'm sitting there milking or weeding or doing whatever I'm doing, I'm listening to a podcast, and <laughs> and it's, it's yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So. Yeah, well, that's great. Now you, know, he, you can uh, brag and say, well, not only did I listen to him, I'm I'm on one. So <laughs> I'm on one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, I'm I'm just I'm gonna let you go, but it's been it's been really great having you on here today. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. There you have it, folks, our interview with Heather Eby. Uh, make sure you head on over to her blog and uh, tell her we sent you and uh, how much uh, you enjoyed hearing about her homestead. Um, remember, you can check out the show notes uh, for this episode at smalltownhomestead.com slash 004. And until next time, um, God bless you and happy homesteading. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.